Hello out there. I hope you are still hanging in there, staying safe and feeling well. We've been talking a lot on the podcast about the immediate fallout from the COVID-19 forced closure of the entire North American ski industry in March. Mountains have been pretty blunt about the fact that the immediate financial losses have been substantial. Now, everyone's looking to next season and asking whether it will even happen. And will skiers buy season passes without knowing whether the season will happen unless you give them a guarantee on that purchase? In the midst of all this financial uncertainty, mountains are understandably looking to cut expenses and save money. And one of their biggest investments is new chairlifts. How much do new chairlifts cost? According to New England Ski History, here are the price tags of some recent lift projects in the Northeast. $7.3 million for the Barnstormer six-pack at the Hermitage Club in 2015. $7 million for the Snowball Express at Stratton in 2018. $6 million for the Forerunner Quad at Stowe back in 2012. Now, those are all high-speed lifts, and fixed-grip lifts are cheaper, but they are still very costly. The new Valley House Quad, fixed-grip quad at Sugarbush, for example, cost $3 million in 2015. And even the Mittersill Double at Cannon was $2.6 million in 2010. All of those lifts I mentioned above are from one manufacturer, Doppelmeyer and they are the leader on the North American lift scene, accounting for just over 58% of new lifts installed in 2019, according to LiftBlog, with 25 projects total. The number is going to be a lot smaller this year. Altera already postponed installation of two high-speed six-packs with Doppelmeyer that would have replaced old quads. Vale pushed off a pair of Doppelmeyer high-speed quads at the top of Beaver Creek, and Boyne delayed their new 8-pack at Loon and a 6-pack at Big Sky, both of which were Doppelmeyer projects. Not everything is canceled. Doppelmeyer is putting in that new high-speed quad at Saddleback, as well as the new 6-place and quad lifts at Dormant, Timberline, West Virginia, and they have some additional projects underway out west. So, I looked up Katerina Schmitz, who heads up Doppelmeyer USA, to get a sense of how the company in particular and the lift industry in general were adapting to the sudden loss of near-term business. And what she told me made me feel pretty good about how the company can adapt and thrive over the long term. Let's hear it. Katarina Schmitz is the president of Doppelmeyer USA, a subsidiary of the Doppelmeyer Garaventa Group. Doppelmeyer has installed nearly 50 lifts in North America over the last two years, including the Ram Charger 8 at Big Sky, Montana, and an eight-passenger gondola at Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. Katarina, thank you for joining us today. Stuart, thanks so much for having me. How is life out in Utah right now? Are you safe and feeling well? Uh, yes, thanks, God. We're all uh, healthy and well here. Our team um, has been weathering the storm quite well, and uh, everybody's healthy, no confirmed cases in, in our organization. That's good to hear. Well, what's your situation with being able to go into the office right now? Is that something you're allowed to do in Utah? We are. So we have uh, no firm stay-at-home order. We have uh, a directive from our governor uh, that encourages people from working from home. So we do that with a lot of our office employees. Uh, but we are able to have our production up and running, um, as well as some of our service team that's uh, here in-house. And that's been very helpful for us. Well, that's good that you're able to keep things moving. You're in a really interesting position there. You just started as president took over for longtime President Mark B. on March 31st. That is a heck of a time to start this job. Uh, very challenging time to make that move. How have you been managing that process? 
and indeed it was heck of a time, I have to admit. Uh, my first couple of weeks were a little bit different than I what I expected. Um, but luckily, uh, Mark and I had about a, a six-month transition period, so it didn't come from one day to the next. Um, he shared a lot of his knowledge and industry expertise during that time, uh, which actually um, turned out to be quite helpful to navigate the current situation. Of course, there's still a lot of uncertainties that even he couldn't foresee. And uh, so right now, my focus is on making sure we have um, a safe work environment for our employees, um, of course, securing deliveries for this year's projects, and then we're also staying in very close contact with our customers um, to make sure we can support them in any way possible during this difficult time. And Mark's still on the board, if I'm not mistaken. So he's still around if you need to give him a phone call and say, hey, uh, can you give me a little background on maybe this or that thing that popped up? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been doing that doing that a couple of times already. He's um, actually in the process of moving to Arizona, uh, but uh, but we have had a few calls and he's doing well. Oh, wow. That's a heck of a time to be making a move. <laughs> yep. So thinking back on the shutdown, this all happened very fast. At what point did you start to realize, uh-oh, mountains are shutting down. They're about to lose a big chunk of their season. They might start cutting these large capital projects. Chairlifts are one of the most expensive things that they do. When did you start to worry about that? It was initially a little bit hard to foresee how it would really unfold and how extensive the disruptions would be. So, you know, you have the first few conversations and people think, oh, we might lose a couple of weeks. And then, uh, you know, as the pandemic unfolded, um, initially customers were very confident in the summer operations. Now some of that is uh, a little bit less certain. Um, so I think it's been kind of a progressive realization. I think it. It is clear to us and I think to, to a lot of other businesses that right now most companies are focused on securing their long-term financial viability and that, that unfortunately sometimes means delaying a project. I think we, we understand the rationale and we're trying to do our best to, to make it through this time together with them. Did you, were you able to see this coming at all? One of the advantages you have as part of Doppelmayr is that it's actually, you're part of a large global group like the Doppelmayr Garaventa group, and that has a large presence in Europe where, of course, the shutdown started to happen much earlier. Were you talking to your colleagues over in Europe and were they saying, hey, this is coming for you, you better get ready? Yeah, absolutely. So we're in very close contact with them. I want to say almost daily anyways, and certainly as this uh, crisis was unfolding and they were a little bit ahead of us in terms of uh, seeing the number of cases spike earlier than we did here, um, you know, we started to prepare together with them really on a group-wide level, and uh, and that was helpful. It doesn't lessen the impact per se, but I think it, it helped us to anticipate um, some of the fallout. What Europe is seeing, and I think we'll probably see something similar here, where the uh, the decisions that resorts are taken really vary by various factors. Uh, you know what their ownership looks like, how much the community is involved. Of course, their finances are important, and then the severity of the outbreak in that area also impacts quite a bit what's happening now. So we're seeing, I would say, a, a varied response in Europe, and I would expect the same here. So the weekend that all the shutdowns were happening, March 14th and 15th, when you realized all the big companies were closing down, did you proactively reach out to them and just say, hey, uh, we realize there's going to be some financial pain here, we're ready to talk, or, or did you just kind of sit back, give them time to breathe, and wait for them to come to you with their plans? 
Um, I, I would say it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Some customers we've been talking through for probably starting sometime in middle of February as we were watching events and just kind of and having a continuous conversation. Uh, others just needed a little bit more space and time to digest and take their decisions as to how they're going to proceed. So I think it really is a kind of an individual type of uh, decision for some of them and for others it was more of a you know, partnership, collaborative um, approach on what could work best. I mean, fortunately, in most circumstances, Doppelmayr has a very long-standing relationships with all of these big companies, with most of these mountains. How much of that help that it's it, it's less transactional, right? It's not like you're just going to Best Buy and buying a TV and maybe you'll go back there six months later. Like this is, you know, with, with say, Boeing, to take one example, this is a company you've had a decades-long relationship with. How much does that help in circumstances like this where your backs are both kind of up against the wall. You know there's going to be some shared sacrifice. You have to figure out how to do it. Uh, I, I think it's it's instrumental, and I think you're picking a good example. We have worked uh, with the Boeing team for many, many years and um, had some really good discussions, and this was one of the customers we started discussions early on. Um, they have uh, two very big projects that they were planning on for this year that uh, then as a group decided that they will be moving to next year. Um, it is unfortunate. We were super excited of building two more D-lines, uh, but we're still excited mm-hmm. to do the same next year. And I think we understand uh, what the rationale is. It was a very collaborative approach to find a solution that, you know, work, works for both parties. And and I really think, you know, well, in this context, it's kind of hard to believe, but it, it almost felt like a win-win type of situation, right? Both parties um, could share their concerns. We came up with a plan that we think is viable going forward. And uh, and I think that's uh, the great thing about working in the ski industry and having these relationships. Yeah. One benefit of having those longstanding relationships, you're both heavily in the ski business. I realized Doppelmayr builds lifts that are not ski-related necessarily um, for a lot of urban transit and other things, but you both understand that skiing is a very fickle business. So you might have a bad snow year. There might be an economic downturn and people aren't vacationing. So I'd imagine that, that a lift being canceled is not an unprecedented event for you. Does Doppelmeyer have protocol in place that allows it to easily scale back operations in circumstances like this? Or was the size of this COVID-4 shutdown so unprecedented that it defied any of those kind of preparations? I would say in general, we are um, a very flexible business. And like you said, we're, we're used to and pretty quick to adapt to um, changing marking market situations. Uh, that was definitely helpful. I think the unique part of this was um, the timing. It's uh, relatively late for a lift to be delayed in terms of the production season. Uh, and then um, also the fact that there's a few projects that more or less at the same time uh, were moving. So there were some unique factors, but I think overall we have been um, taking a couple, two, three weeks now to um, rearrange some of our priorities in the production um, to kind of have the capacity realigned with what we're foreseeing for this year. And I think we're also having our construction crews at this point lined up for this summer and we know who is going where. So there was a little bit of shuffling going on, but I think we're now at a state where we have a clear plan how we're going to move forward. Yeah, how difficult is it to do that, Katarina? Because you're to to, to shift your production capacity and your, and your work size because you had a very strong Doppelmayr had a very strong 2019, 25 new lifts installed in North America. Uh, you're looking at a fraction of that this summer. 
So how easily can you scale back to the appropriate size? Um, I would say it probably depends what you compare us to, but in, in general, um, we do have a lot of variation year over year in terms of our production activities just based on the product mix. So uh, our various facilities on a global level specialize in certain things. So if we have a year that's very strong as detachables, those products would come from somewhere else than let's say, fixed grips. Um, so that just means that we are used to these adjustments. Uh, the other helpful thing is that we typically have a combination of year-round employees that have been with us for a very long time. Um, we have some project-specific seasonal staff, and we also use temporary workers. And so that combination allows you to make some uh, adjustments while making sure that you, you maintain your core team um, actively engaged, and um, and we have been able to do that through through this challenge as well. I want to talk about that production line a little bit more because I think as skiers, we tend to think about chairs at the installation point, right? Because that's when we start seeing the pictures on Facebook, you know, the old lift getting torn down, you know, flying the towers, it's, it's these very strong visuals. And that's when we start to get excited. Oh, this is something I'm actually going to be able to ride this winter. Uh, but there's a very long production chain that happens before the lifts arrive at the mountains. And I'd imagine some of that work can continue on these big projects that were postponed rather than outright canceled. So what are you still able to do even when you can't get on the mountain and put the new lifts in place? I mean, in general, right, you, you could produce the entire lift and uh, store it if you were so inclined. I think what we found the most useful approach is, is the first step is you reshuffle priorities and you, you pull those projects forward that are being executed this season. Um, that's in essence what we have been doing. And then you can go back and finish up um, anything that may be remaining for next year's project. Uh, it also depends. Like a, a lot of the um, equipment will, you know, we um, source component level um, items from all over the world to come here, and then you can really time your final assembly so it makes sense if a project is um, delayed. So it may make more sense to store individual components than a final assembly. Uh, that, of course, depends on the timing and how far along you were in the production process, um, but we're, we're able to do that um, for some of the equipment. I think that overall is, is a, a good solution. So you said manufacturing is occurring during the shutdown. Have you had to scale that back at all? Have you had to lay off any workers? Are you able to go at more or less regular strength right now? Uh, we have only had to lay off a handful of people saying, Scott, so very limited. Uh, we are limiting overtime right now, but other than that, we are working 40 hours with almost our, our full team here. And where does the manufacturing take place for Doppelmeyer USA? Is it there in Utah? Yes, it's in Utah. Our Salt Lake City facility is the only manufacturing site in the United States. And then, you know, we have a fair share of equipment for U.S. installations that comes from Europe or other places. And so you just have that one factory in Salt Lake City? Correct. What about storage? Is it because some of these lifts right now they're being made and they might not be on the mountain for a while. Do you have storage facilities? Is that something you have to rent? Is that a limiting factor or is that just a matter of of finding a space to stick the components? 
it's not been a real limiting factor for us. We, we're fortunate to have a quite large piece of land here in Utah, and um, a lot of the equipment naturally can be stored outside, like towers and cross arms and so on. Um, so that's been relatively easy to accomplish. There's certainly some items, like if you get a spool of rope or a motor, you want to make sure you have a, a covered storage space. Uh, but that isn't really impacting our ability to keep producing or to really continue any of our other activities. Uh, one thing that COVID-19 has definitely disrupted around the world is the global supply chains. What does Doppelmeyer's supply chain look like as far as the places that your components come from? I'm not sure if you make things in Utah or if you just assemble things. So uh, to, to, what if, to what extent have your supply chains been disrupted? So locally here in Utah, we're basically a steel shop. We do a lot of welding, a lot of steel fabrication activities, and then final assembly. Uh, but like you said, our components come from all over the world. So we have uh, a fairly strong share of Austrian and Swiss supply, naturally, within the group. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also have... Um, Things coming from places like Thailand, for example, some of our chairs or Finland, um, some of our motors come from there. Uh, to be honest, ocean freight really has not been an issue for us at all. So we have had almost no disruptions, I would say, for things coming from Europe or Asia, uh, for that matter. I think the most I've seen so far is a two-day delay in Amsterdam with uh, a new, like a ship coming in a little bit late, um, so really nothing to speak of. The one part that's a little bit tricky right now is air freight, so if, especially air freight from Europe to the U.S. We have been able to route parts through Los Angeles, which is maybe not the most efficient way, but it gets the job done. Um, and uh, I think we're finally starting to see a little bit more cargo planes now coming over our way too, which should hopefully alleviate the situation here fairly quickly. So that's good news. So none of your factories of supply components have had to shut down. You haven't had to switch to a different factory in a different country or anything else to source some of these key things? No, not to this state. We did have, like, the Italian facility was impacted um, as well as our um, facility in Quebec. Uh, But a lot of the large manufacturing sites have been up and running. And uh, so far, these shutdowns haven't impacted any of our projects, and we're not anticipating that to be the case. How much does Doppelmeyer Garaventa, as a global entity, how much do they use that economy of scale to source parts from the same place for the lifts in Europe and the lifts in Asia and then and then the lifts in the United States and just ship them around where they're needed? Um, I would say there is, it, it depends a little bit on the type of equipment. We, we definitely uh, utilize the kind of the economies of scale, global sourcing approach when it comes to electronic components, anything that goes into the controls, a lot of the smaller type of items. We obviously have some uh, group suppliers like FATSA and other rope suppliers that we deal with on a, on a global level. Uh, but then when it comes to steel items specifically, and a lot of our lifts are dependent on that, we do try to do as much as we can locally. It just makes sense from a um, logistics standpoint for a lot of our installations. Sounds like your factories are not terribly impacted yet. When it comes to the actual lift installation, you, you mentioned your construction crews were in place. Are those traveling crews who specialize in this, or do you source some of that labor locally? How does that work? Um, it's a little bit of both. So we have traveling crews that um, have experienced employees that have 
been with us for many, many years. And those tend to be the job site leaders and then their, their key team members that can work independently. And then uh, almost all the time we'll be uh, supplementing those teams with some local labor uh, from the local communities and together they'll form our construction teams in these various places. Do you find that it's fairly easy to find people in places like Vermont or Colorado or Utah where you, even if they don't necessarily work for you, there's always chairlifts going in in those states. So is it fairly easy to find temporary workers who have done this kind of thing before? Like maybe they did a lift at Killington last year. So, you know, this year they can help out with the lift at Stowe. And I would say in general, yes. I mean, that's really been exactly what we've been trying to do. So they'll join us one season and we're trying to have them come back year over year and, uh, you know, build some of their expertise and become part of the, the Doppelmeyer group. For a lot of folks, that works really great. You know, they left their winter jobs at one of the resorts and then in summer they'll help build that lift and then they go back to ski patrolling or whatever they love doing. Um, and that's been kind of a great arrangement for, for a lot of our construction team members. And as far as those those crews go, I, I know there's a around the United States right now, there's every state has its own version of shelter in place. To what extent have the crews been able to get to work? Because at this point, the mountains are shut down. You might as well start if you're able to. Are there places where you have crews working or are they mostly delayed right now? Um, like you said, it's uh, it's kind of a, a mixed bag on a lot of states and counties and towns have different restrictions. So we have been working very diligently uh, to make sure we, we follow those and see when things are opening up. Uh, right now, we're working in Alaska on the two gondolas uh, that we're building up on the island of Huna. Um, our team has been up there since January, and the while there is some uh, pretty strict quarantining requirements in place since our guys didn't leave the island and they've been there for so long, they can continue to work there. Um, and that's, in essence, what we're doing. Um, and then uh, we're uh, just about to start a project up in West Virginia that um, we, we have site access. So we're really working closely with the respective customers, but also making sure we, we follow all rules and regulations and restrictions that are out there. Um, it seems like in the last week and a half or so, there's more and more states that are willing to um, issue um, exceptions or permits for accessing construction sites, provided that you have a solid plan in place for social distancing and for uh, your team on site. And we're, we have that prepared and we're uh, submitting that uh, to make sure we can start work. Now, on the bright side, it's uh, still a little bit early to start on a lot of the mountains. There's still a lot of snow, depending where you are. Um, so there's a little bit of time before we really need to be on site, but we we have very active conversations with all our customers and preparing for these start dates. So the crews on site, do you have to provide them with masks, these kind of things, or does that vary state by state as well? Um, it varies state by state, but we want to also, as a Doppelmeyer uh, policy, provide them with as much uh, safety-related equipment as we can, so that we'll be including masks, but also sanitizing supplies and having a really good routine for cleaning and, you know, how do you interact with each other, how you space and all of that. So we're uh, preparing for that. So getting back into your relationships with your partners, you described the conversations you had with Boyne as a win-win. I don't know how much you can tell us here, but when a ski area postpones rather than cancels a lift, uh, how do you work that out? Do, you, do they tend to push the full cost of the lift off to the 
season they're going to have it installed? Or do you kind of work out terms where you still have some money coming in so you can work on a little bit of the manufacturing or, or planning, or, or is it just kind of a full stop and hold? I would say it's um, dependent on the agreements that we have in place with each of these customers. Uh, overall, um, I would say pretty much all the projects have kind of an initial down payment that covers uh, the very early on costs like engineering and some of the initial material procurements. And then it depends on how far along you are. Um, with having these uh, strong relationships for many years, I think for uh, each of the cases that we had this year, I think we found a, a very workable solution and it really just comes down to sitting down and having a conversation and, and figuring something out that works for both parties. So you had a number of major projects canceled or postponed rather than canceled, uh, which is good, which means they still intend to put them in at some point. So as far as I can tell, that was Big Sky, Loon, Mammoth, and Beaver Creek. What can you tell us about the status of those projects? I would say in general, uh, the Big Sky and Loon were two D-lines. So these are uh, fairly big lifts. Uh, they would have been amazing additions for the resorts and will still be when they come along. Um, those products are uh, to a very large share coming out of Austria. So, and that production has progressed uh, fairly far along. And so we um, have decided that we'll be storing the equipment in Austria for the time being mm. um, just to make sure we're not introducing any extra logistics challenges at this time, and then we'll be resuming um, shipments next year when we're ready to start at the respective job sites. And then um, the uh, the Beaver Creek lifts are mainly North American supplied equipment, so we're able to, to handle uh, logistics and storage here, and I think we have some good solutions in place for that. So that loon lift, I'm just curious about that one because that's going to be the first eight-pack here in the eastern part of the United States. Is that the one that you said is being manufactured in Austria? Correct. It's, it's interesting because when Boeing CEO Stephen Kircher was on the show, he was talking about how Austria is this just epicenter of eight-passenger lifts. I think he said there's 40-some of them over there. Is that why you chose to make that one over there because they have so much experience with that grade of lift? Um, I think that's uh, certainly one way of looking at it. In general, our D-Line product line, which is uh, I want to call the our new or high-end uh, offering for um, also the American market, is currently coming out of Austria exclusively. Um, I think there in future we'll have kind of a mixed supply going forward, but right now it's uh, very unique items that uh, we source from from Wolford and uh, have been supplied here to the ram charge installation in Big Sky as well, and we'll be doing that for the next few that we'll be building in North America as we're building our own uh, local manufacturing capability for uh, some of these uh, more unique fabrication groups. So you still have some more projects in progress at Sun Peaks, Sun Valley, and Timberline, Oregon. Do you have any updates you can give us on those projects? I think right now all of them are moving forward. So uh, I think these folks specifically have some old lifts um, that uh, will be coming out as part of their, their project activities. So we are being very conscious that we don't uh, jump to conclusions in terms of the 
making sure we don't have a worst case scenario where you rip out an old lift and you don't have a new lift. So we have been working uh, with, with these respective customers um, to make sure we have a lift installation sequence where we could start some of the work before even touching an old lift. That's pretty much the case or possible for all of these. And um, and also mitigating uh, some of the risks, but just making sure all equipment is on site and we have a really good confidence level that we have access to the site before we march down building these lifts. And right now, things are looking good there, and we're uh, we're planning on completing these projects successfully this this fall. And have you been able to start work on any of those lifts yet on site? We have uh, shipped actually majority of the equipment up to Sun Peaks just a couple of weeks ago, and was our little trial to see how the border crossing is going these days. And there was no issues there, okay. so they have the <laughs> they have the vast majority of their lift on site. I think there's a few more things. I think that I want to say maybe the rope and the chairs are still coming, but other than that, uh, the lift is pretty much there. Um, and that's like one I think good example of uh, trying to mitigate some of that risk that could come through supply chain or shipping disruptions. Once you have everything there, you now have eliminated one of the big uncertainty factors and you can focus on site access and crew availability and building the, the project. But have you started demolition yet on that Sun Peaks triple or are you waiting to see how things play out? Um, it is, uh, as far as I know, we have not started demolition on that yet. And I want to say actually the resort might be doing the demo um, on hmm. that one, but I would have to double check. So the last two projects that Doppelmayr has scheduled for this summer in North America were actually for mountains that have been closed for quite some time. One at Saddleback in Maine, they're getting a high-speed quad to replace their old Rangeley double. And Timberline Mountain in West Virginia is actually getting two lifts, a new six-pack and a fixed-grip quad. Uh, how are you working with those two mountains to help them meet their goals of returning to service this winter? I would say, like, overall, you know, we, we really understand the criticality for these uh, two resorts to have the new lifts in place to being able to uh, run in the 2020, sorry, 2021 ski season. And, uh, you know, both of these places are planning some significant improvements uh, to their respective mountains. So we're excited to, to be part of this uh, work that Timberline actually has started. So that's uh, one of the places that we could get going, which is uh, great news. And then uh, we're uh, proceeding per plan to settle back as well. So we're foreseeing no issues with the, either one of them. Yeah, I saw Saddleback use a very, well, I think it was a very unconventional method of tearing down their old Rangeley double. They they tied a winch to a snowcat and just started dropping it for yeah, the that video. <laughs> I did see that. That That's was so pretty cool. amazing. <laughs> is, is, that, is that a standard method or, or, um, or were they just getting creative? I don't know what I would call it a standard method, but it seems like it worked, you know. <laughs> it, it did the job, I'll tell you that. I like, Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I that I didn't ride that lift now because I don't know how good I feel about it if you can pull the whole thing down with one snowcat. With just one pull. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure whatever you put in there will be uh, far sturdier. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> well, 2020 is looking like it will be a down year for Doppelmayr for reasons well beyond your control. Uh, this is coming off a really good 2019. How are you feeling long-term about the appetite for new lifts, both at Ski Mountains and like the one you mentioned up in Alaska, we're increasingly seeing these urban lifts or tourist attraction lifts. How are you feeling about the future, Katerina, in, in the midst of all this that's happening? I think that uh, overall we have seen a pretty st a steady growth in the ropeway 
installations across across the globe and i i am confident that that trend will continue i think there is a, there is no doubt that there will be some setbacks um that are affecting the tourism industry and of course ski mountains as well as theme parks or cruise ship liners you name it so i think all of them will will definitely um have a period of time that will be tough and that will include us um but at the same time i think uh, people have shown throughout the generations that uh, they're always going to go out and exercise. They're going to go vacation together with their family, no matter what. And I hope that time will come back very, very quickly where we can all do that. Um, so I think that will also bring more appetite for new lifts again. Uh, the other interesting part maybe throughout this time is, is urban transportation. I think that continues to hold huge potential. Um, it may be a good time to get some of these projects off the ground. Now, cities and states have been looking at gondola systems for public transportation for years, uh, and maybe now might be a good time to get some of the funds released towards these projects to get people back to work and solve some of the, the toughest transportation problems at the same time. So we're we're positive, we're hopeful that um, these, uh, that we will overcome this together with our partners here fairly quickly and uh, build some more new exciting lift projects. Looking ahead and, and mentioning the, the urban transportation, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on whether people will be, will there be some kind of embedded fear when we get back out to be able to do things like ski with being close to people with this kind of forced social distancing that we've all endured? Do you Do you think that are you afraid at all that that will take hold and people will be afraid to be in something like an enclosed gondola cabin or a chair? I mean, I can probably only speak for myself, but for me, being out in the mountains is one of the most rewarding and, I don't know, liberating things somehow. So I think that would be the last place where I would have any fear. I, I would think, you know, we'll take a little time. I mean, after especially places that have been affected quite severely, you know, will uh, take time for people to get back to normal. Um, but but I do feel that being with four people or six people or eight people is different than being in other mass transportation options. And I think it's more manageable and also uh, in terms of cleanliness, much easier to achieve. So I think there might still be some, some benefits on having these smaller type of uh, conveyances than just a massive few hundred people type of trains. Well, Katarina, I wish you the best of luck. I hope that you can get all these projects done this this winter, and I hope we recover strong for next year. Thank you very much for your time today. Good luck getting through all this. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speaking to you, and you have a wonderful weekend. That's Katarina Schmitz, president of Doppelmeyer USA. Really good perspective there on how a business like that can adapt to a system shock like this. The thing about a company like Doppelmeyer is that there really aren't a lot of companies that can do what they can do. It is not easy putting complex machines in the Alpine environments they specialize in. So they're going to endure this one way or the other, because on the other side, the demand for ropeway transportation is only going to grow long-term. It may be a rough year or two, but they're in good hands with Katarina. So thank you very much for that, Katarina, and thank you all for listening. I'm curious, how are you all holding up? I am on day 38, homebound. The crisis is easing up a bit here in New York City, but it's still raging, and the only thing keeping it from flaring up again is the fact that most of us aren't going anywhere or doing anything. So I expect the situation to be our normal for some time yet, which means that I will also probably make at least a couple more COVID-19 and skiing podcasts. To hear those as soon as they're live, subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter for free at skiing.substack.com. Stay well, stay safe, 
I'm Stuart Winchester, and I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.